sentence for this week. Uh, okay, so we're not doing news. Nothing has happened this week. It just keeps getting worse. We're on the line with uh, Langdon, usual guy. Hey. He's here. And we got a new friend with us today, uh, Aubrey. Sits... Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, he is, in case you haven't been listening to a bunch of other podcasts uh, recently or have kept up with comic book releases, he is the author of the comic book story of professional wrestling, which is... A, it's available you know, right now. It's you available can get it now. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the most important thing. Let's get it right up front. Myself and my co-creator, uh, Chris Marino. I wrote yeah. it. He did all the art on it. Uh, it's available right now. Go get it. Please. Yeah, you, got colors you can get it from by... a guy? You can get it from a guy. You can get it from a gal. You can get it from a non-binary pal, man. You can get it everywhere. There's wow. some there's some talking, talking animals that sell it sometimes out in the woods. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't. I, they're unaffiliated. They're doing their own thing, but I, I'm sure they're out there. Get a copy. It's good. Yeah. Damn good. It's colorful. The people look like they they look. Uh, the Rock is in it. Um, it's about wrestling. I you if you're listening to this, you're you're already a podcast listener. You almost certainly are a leftist, and that means that if you don't like wrestling, fuck off. <laughs> Dude, there's a lot of overlap in those in those in that like tri Venn diagram these days, right? Wrestling it, fans, yeah. podcast people. It's a there's a lot of us. It's almost a perfect circle, except for <laughs> one exception, which is me. Uh, I don't know if it's the British thing or just that I'm awful. No, they, they got they got some really great wrestling over in Britain. Oh, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a long and there's a long history of it there too. It's a. I mean, there's a, we did a, we do a full chapter on just wrestling in the UK because it's it's kind of its own thing for a really long time, and then it goes into hibernation, and uh, it's come roaring back in the past few years, certainly. I love the new wave of like catch it, catch can wrestlers. That that's been a really exciting thing for me to watch. To just have this totally different style just show up again. Like you're talking like Shayna Baszler kind of stuff. Yeah, and also like Jack Gallagher, like watching him tie people up into weird knots. Yeah, he's doing that Johnny. He's doing the Johnny Saint thing that uh, uh, Zack Saber does. Yeah. Interesting. You should mention uh, Zach, Zach Saber. So he was one of the. Uh, kind of key questions i had uh, for you as a as an academic in the um era of uh, wrestling uh, which is given that wrestling's long history coming out of like carnival circuits into today where it's kind of a multi-billion dollar industry why isn't zach saber jr my boyfriend and why don't we own a vegan bakery together i think i uh, think i think it's just a matter of competition man there's a lot of there's a lot of eligible suitors out there for Mr. Saber. Everyone wants to be with Mr. Saber. He is simply near the top of the heap right now. I don't think he's at the very top, but he's he's near there. He's like top ten boyfriend material. He's a little, he's a little too he's a little too twinky for me. I like a big I like a bigger more more substantial hunk of beef. If if we're being I honest can, with each other, I can follow that. It's it's sort of like I'm I'm glad that we have. Uh, I guess he's going by Pac again, but we have we have Pac back. Uh, he he's tiny, but he's beefy. And he's I like beefy, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good combo. He's got big everything. It's just it's all big, but he's small, and that's a that's a pleasing contradiction. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's cover the book uh, before we keep bringing up names of people. I have no idea who they are. 
Oh, um, me and Aubrey are gonna have a field day confusing you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna like take a minute or so. You could have this episode. It could be your one. Um, you can but, just Google these people while we're talking about them. Look at their pictures. Google image search. Yeah, look at if them. You, you need the visual. If you just look at them. That's that's honestly you can you can go without the wrestling part of wrestling. I can't believe I'm saying that, but if you just look at the wrestlers, that's like ninety percent of what we're doing. It's certainly ninety percent of my interactions with Zack Sabre Junior. Um, but uh, the other ten percent, he has cool jackets. He's simply he got some really excellent top shelf jackets. And um, well, promotion. He has amazing merch as well. His merch is um, it, his. It is his, pretty good. His name in the Death Heaven Sunbather font. And a Napalm Death ripoff. <laughs> and a Morrison... Wow, okay, so he's got some good taste, or at least a yeah. merch guy who's got good taste. Uh, he's got great taste. His his finishing moves um, reference Napalm Death and um, Adam like a Stephen Merchant bit. There's like a Stephen Merchant bit, right? Yeah, or there is. Mike and um, yeah. uh, Adam Curtis's documentaries, he's uh, endorsed uh, Jeremy Corbyn, he's a vegan. Uh, you know, it's He's a great wrestler too. That's very yeah. He's not a fucking elite. incredible wrestler. He's, he's like. really good. He's one of my favorite guys to watch these days for sure. Yeah, and he can use his uh, technical skills to get a ball in this. But um, to go back to the book, um, it's available now. It is, yeah. And so, what? So, how did this start out? Like, because you've been yeah, doing, what? you've been in the comics game a, a little while now. In what most... was the thing that made you go, now it's wrestling, now I gotta write, and not like a, not a wrestling story, but like the story of wrestling? Yeah, well, you know, I've been working in comics and wrestling both since, you know, so I started in comics in like 2005, and I started, in, I, my first wrestling gig was at WWE in 2008, so I've been involved with both consistently and um, considerably for you know some time now, um, but the genesis of this book was actually my editor uh, Patrick Barb at Ten Speed Press. Uh, it's part of Penguin Random House. He reached out because they have a line of books. It's the comic book story of blank, and they had done beer and video games and baseball, and they were looking to do pro wrestling. And at the time, I was still doing my wrestling podcast called Straight Shoot, and. Patrick was a big fan of that show, and so he knew from listening to it that I not only knew wrestling, but I was a comic book writer. At the time, I was working on what ended up being like about a two-year run on the G.I. Joe comics. Uh, and so he had the bright idea that you know if you're going to do a wrestling comic book, maybe reach out to the guy who knows wrestling and comic books. And that was kind of it, man. He reached out, asked if I'd want to do this, and I said, of course I would. And uh, fortunately, I had worked with Chris Moreno our, my co-creator on a previous book called Worth back in 2012 and uh, I reached out to him because I knew that he is amazing at a lot of things but two in, specific, in particular were going to be really helpful with this book and those were the caricature aspect of it because there's you know there's hundreds and hundreds of wrestlers yeah. in this thing and he needed to be able to draw them in a way that they're instantly recognizable but you know not light boxed like traced like very like wooden and stiff stuff like they need to have life to them uh, and the other thing that Chris is really great at is period stuff, which of course is important because we start, yeah. you know, earnest in like the 1880s or so is where the story really picks up. Um, so there's a lot of different eras that he has to get 
drawn accurately and recognizably. And I didn't know at the time that I reached out to him, but he told me short a- shortly afterwards. Chris, another reason Chris is a great choice for this, and like he's a wrestling fan. We'd gone to wrestling shows together out here. If you watch, I don't know, season one of Lucha Underground, you can see Chris and I, um, nice, very, <laughs> yeah, uh, losing our shit for uh, like a Johnny Mundo match. Um, but another another thing that made Chris really good for this project was. He has this real fondness for nonfiction comics and, um, you know, like the big book of books from the 90s as well as old – like something he's really, really a big fan of are old Will Eisner, like preventative maintenance comics that Will Eisner used to make for the military. What? Yeah, man. Will Eisner – so for people who don't know, Will Eisner is a um, foundational comic book creator. Um, he the formal- biggest – the biggest comic book award is named after him. Right. And so, I mean, you know, there are a few different schools of American comic booking and Will Eisner is, you know, one of them, right? He's one of the, the big descendants or um, like ancestors for most modern comic book creators. And he really invent, did a lot to invent the formal language of comics and, or to formalize it very, at the very least. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things he, the thing he's most famous for is the spirit. And then a number of these graphic novels, like a contract with God and stuff like that. But also during wartime, he made a bunch of comics for the U S military, the army and the Marines, um, all about like, how to clean your gun and how I'm going to gonna change... have to look these up. I yeah, find them like, like historical ephemera like that. Yeah. And they are really good. It's the thing. And you know, he was, he was trying to make comics to teach complicated procedures to people who maybe had inconsistent reading levels, right? Like not everybody yeah. in, in the army was a really strong reader. And so he had, he had to use a lot of visuals to do it. Um, and he, you know, invented a kind of language there for doing these non-fictional and instructional, co- non-fiction and instructional comics. And Chris is a huge fan of those. And it worked out really well because he ended up using a lot of that stuff in the art for the book. That's so fascinating. I, had, I, I love tracking down little ephemera like that. Like one of my like pet projects from like the literary world is finding collections of like old aristocratic letters from like the 1300s or something (laughs) where they're just reprinted in a collection. Just reading those little because those little tiny touches fill in so much of the empty space that we sometimes don't know how to pencil in when it comes to larger projects or larger um like historical concepts. So that seems like it would really uh. He must have been making those, like, in the midst of that uh, first, like, epochal run on on the spirit, given given the time frame. I think so. Yeah. I mean, like, and he worked with the studio, too. So it wasn't, you know, it was it was far from just him. Right. And that's actually like a a controversial thing in some comic book circles. But he had a studio of people working for him and he was he was the head. He set the tone and he wrote the stuff and, you know, and would do different amounts of art on stuff depending on what it was. Um, But you know that's kind of how things that's kind of how things ran at the time. It's, it's how manga yeah. still operates. You know? Yeah, I, I was about to bring that up. That like, unless aside from a few like savant figures who are like fairly hermetic, that's that's the singular way that uh, manga has run since uh, what's his face, the uh, Osama Osama Tezuka. Yeah, yeah. Since he developed the whole uh, the whole technique in order to avoid getting kidnapped, which is still. One of the most fucking insane parts about manga that I can't help but fixate on is editors would literally fucking kidnap you. Um, but <laughs> they need those pages, man. Yeah. Where am I gonna get princess tonight if I'm not kidnapping you? 
Yeah. I'm guessing they don't do that at Marvel anymore. Uh, when I was there, we were, we were, I worked at Marvel 2005, 2008, and we were already starting to, like, tamp down on the kidnappings. Good. So by, good. Now, so, by, so by now, I think, by now I think they've stopped, yeah. And DC does it, because they're the edgy one. And, uh, no. are they the edgy one? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> Everybody's edgy. Everybody's very edgelord. Grimdark. I think, I think DC, at least, if, if we can just lightly touch on comic stuff, they've, they've gotten a lot more playful with it, where they balance tonality i think a little bit better than marvel who tend to put at least for right now they seem to put all their eggs into like one or two baskets for any given like season um meanwhile dc tends to split the difference a little bit better i think in terms of like here's some uh here's the comic where you can see batman's dick and also uh uh john constantine's in it and uh batman has to fight demons and then in this one it's uh uh it's just the uh, Catwoman teaming up with Sylvester, <laughs> like the okay. cat. But so, um, yeah. So Aubrey, one of the yeah, man. one of the cool things about this book is the the first first page tells you everything you need to know, and I'm gonna just read it all out <laughs> because I want the listeners to notice as well. <clears throat> so you say. Professional wrestling is the one true sport. While other sports have their share of intense, dramatic moments, none can compare with professional wrestling. That's because, from the ground up, wrestling has been designed to get a reaction. Wrestling isn't the one true sport in spite of being fixed, but rather because of it. It's the one true sport because it's not really a sport at all. So, I was like part of that generation where... I don't know, maybe all kids go through this, where you learn wrestling is fake in the same way you learn, like, Santa Claus isn't real. And when we learned, when the kids at my school, at least, when we learned that wrestling was fake, we stopped liking wrestling. And everyone just got into, like, soccer, because that was real. And the matches had consequences, and you knew that the, there wasn't, like, a heel team and a face team. It was just a bunch of people playing a game and some people do people do worked people do worked industry or worked injuries in soccer all the time oh yeah they do yeah that's (laughs) entirely yeah they every single one of them and you know the matches are sometimes fixed and there's like a whole uh corruption scandal in fifa but thank you fifa yeah fifa good folks but um so yeah i just wonder if you could elaborate on that idea that it's the best sport because it's so fake because I, I was watching some like legendary matches uh, earlier today and it's it's very obvious that no one's really getting hit and uh it, it's very obvious that it's fake i don't know why i believed it wasn't for so no. long <laughs> i think the first thing you know is the first thing to kind of unpack is this idea of fake right um and there's a a kind of um a cliche um, because people in wrestling use it so often, but it's a it's a good one. You know, they use it a lot. It's a a great phrase, and it's that wrestling is fixed, not fake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody like everybody's in on it. It's 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 a work, right? They there are people laying down and taking the pin, um, but it's not fake. You know, like you can't fake jumping off a ladder. You can't fake taking a suplex, right? Like you can you can take the suplex in such a way that you minimize the damage, but at the end of the day, you're still falling down on your back when somebody flings you, right? Um, and I think that that is 
a really important distinction. So I try not to use fake when I talk about wrestling. Um, but to the, to this idea that, you know, wrestling by virtue of being, of being fixed and not being a real sport, um, is, is what makes it so great. You know, that to me was, that's something we wanted to get out of the way immediately with this book because, you know, almost every interview I've done and, and anytime I talk with somebody about wrestling who isn't a big wrestling fan, this is the first talking point. This idea of like, oh, um, well, you know, wrestling isn't real and it's not legit and it's not a real competition. It's not a real sport. And yeah, accurate. That's true. But it's also, to my mind, one of the least interesting things about wrestling, right? And in fact, it's – it's not something – you know. I mentioned it in the, the thing you just read, but you know, the fact that wrestling is fixed and rigged isn't a knock against wrestling. In fact, it's what makes wrestling great. It's what makes wrestling such a unique, weird, powerful, visceral medium, right? Um, and so in the, in the very first page, we wanted to address that so we could just put it out of, out of mind. Because I didn't want to spend 170 pages <laughs> belaboring the point that this stuff isn't totally on the up and up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think the briefest way that I've found to describe it to people, and I've like I've since gotten my partner uh, into wrestling. It helps that we're going through like the, a massive uh, revival in like mainstream attention to high quality women's matches, which is uh, superb and long deserved. Um, it should have come sooner, but uh, is that? having that complaint about wrestling or allowing that to like bite at the back of your head is about as sensible as like going to a film and re- like shaking your head in the middle of it and going, wait, this is fiction. Like <laughs> these aren't l- events that are actually happening in the real world. Why am I here? Or, um, or like getting upset when reading a book that it's like, Oh, these aren't, these aren't historical events. These are, do you, you mean that Arrakis is not real? Um, <laughs> Not yet, at least. That's true. We get we coming for that spice <laughs> we're, boy. We're, we're, we're on our <laughs> way. Uh, yeah, I mean, to touch on that a little bit, you know, it's interesting because I I agree with you, right? Like it's it's as a, people say, oh, you know, you know, it's not real, right? Well, yeah, neat, fucking Amelia Clark doesn't actually have pet dragons either, right? But like it's fine. It's, <laughs> we just we just put this out of our mind so we can enjoy the um, the art that we're being presented, right? Um, wrestling, I think, is a little bit different, though. And this is something – this is one of the kind of thesis statements that we took on in the book. And we come back to it time and time again, this idea that wrestling is somehow different from other storytelling mediums. And we talk about it early on. We talk about like these carnival origins, right, and the fact that wrestling originated as a con. Right. And it's, it has a lot more in common with a con or a magic trick or a carnival game than it does like a TV show or theater or a book or anything like that. And I think that a big part of that comes from the fact that you're right. You know, like there, there is this expectation that people will acknowledge that what they're seeing isn't totally real, but then just go along with it the same way they would with a film. Right. Um, but there's, a lot less of a distance and a disconnect between a wrestling match in the audience and a film in the audience. And this is a structural thing, and it's it's inherent to the medium itself because the medium is predicated on this idea of obfuscating the truth and tricking the un- tricking the audience by telling them, yeah, 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 it's it's rigged, it's fixed, but this part might not be. Right. Um, and the crowd, because, you know, like a magic trick, right? The crowd wants to be fooled 
um, or like a con. They they think that they the audience thinks that they are smarter than the people tricking them, right? Like there's an old saying, you can't con an honest John. And what that means is if you're going to trick somebody, if you're going to con them out of their money, they have to think that they're conning you. And wrestling works the same way, right? Wrestling all the time tells audiences um, what they want to hear in order to make them think that they're smart and they're in on it and they get it only to pull the rug out from under them and show that they don't really understand and they don't know where these lines are drawn between fact and fiction. And a lot of times the lines themselves are super blurred as well. It's 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 a unique, beautiful art form, I think, uh, because it's based um, wholly on duplicity and deception. And despite that, there's a lot of honesty to it. You know, there's this duality of wrestling, yeah. right? Because – even amidst all this duplicity and deception, there's an honesty towards honesty surrounding what wrestling is trying to accomplish. You know, like whereas you might have films that um, have these high-minded ideals and they want to get to these metaphors and they want to be a message movie. You know, like everything that's going to be coming out for the next couple months, right, with the Oscars. Uh, like films often do that. Wrestling never does that. Wrestling is only about one thing. It's about getting your money. It's about making you sure, making sure you come next week, and that's about it. asses in seats. That's it. It's the only thing, and I think that there's something really um, refreshingly crass about that, and there's beauty in the crassness too. It's I don't know. It's 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 something I love. Obviously, I wrote this whole book about I, it, but uh, I, I I feel the same way. It's one of the reasons why I'm sort of a like I say that I'm a staunch modern WWE defender, at least prior to the Saudi stuff. Um, because, like, one, I don't think we need to defend some of the bigger um, side promotions. Like, I think, uh, like, uh, New Japan and, and even Impact now are doing a good enough job just presenting a quality product that doesn't need to... Um, fans are going to flock to it. There doesn't need to be a, a big open defense. But I think the insane anti-smark crassness of WWE, where it's like, no, you... I absolute the fact that smarks are mad is now the goal of or at least what's the goal of wwe for a while well, it has been um, i mean it has been for it has been for 20 years at this point right you know yeah. like this the origins of this right this idea of like um wwe like purposefully angering certain segments of the crowd it has its roots in the montreal screw job right it yeah. has its roots in the origins of mr mcmahon the character right and it, and this is this is a thing that WWE and it, it's exactly what I was talking about earlier. Like WWE constantly does this stuff to make the audience think that they get it and they're in on it, right? Like uh, I think NXT is the best example, right? Yeah. Um, Triple H went from the person who was most reviled by like smart marks or like internet fans, the internet wrestling community, whatever you want to call it, Reddit, Squared Circle, Reddit. They hated yeah. Triple H for years because he was over pushed and he was shoved down their throats and he only oh, got that position because he married his favorite weapon's Stephanie. not a sledgehammer, it's a shovel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All those bits, man. They, they, that was the line on him for years. And then WWE is really clever about something they've done in the past. Um, they set up their own competition, right? They created NXT and they told people for long enough that oh this is the real wrestling this is the real good wrestling this is wrestling how it's meant to be and how it used to be and they managed to transform and nxt is quite good quite often there's some incredible people there i'm not knocking on nxt but it was it was a marketing push right like it was, yeah. it was a pr ploy and but people buy it hook line and sinker because it's what they want to believe right they want to believe that there's this like this like scrappy indie promotion that's doing a better job at we style wrestling than we is even though that 
scrappy indie promotion is just a wing of the same company. <laughs> it's it's hysterical, uh, yeah. right? It, but it's, it, it's, it, it's fascinating stuff, man. It also reminds me of, like, at a certain point trying to convince people in the midst of, uh, and I think even prior to the leukemia diagnosis or reveal that, um, that a lot of this had abated, but trying to convince people in the midst of, like, hating WWE because of the way that they were pushing Roman Reigns, it's trying to tell them, like, when they got wise to the dirt sheet in our slash squared circle community, and uh, they don't, they don't want you to cheer their heels. They, that's bad. That means it's a failure of design and, and that the story has failed. Like, you aren't helping things by doing that. You're, you're hindering the storytelling. So once they got hip to, no matter what we do with this character, they get booed. Well, that just means they're a heel. And yeah. this, I mean, we're trying to get important. into people's heads. They're not failing to account for that. They are accounting for you. It's exactly well, the thing that you were bringing up. It's like they, they're not unaware that, you, that you're booing this person. They're now. real smart. Becomes, they know what they're doing, man. They're, they've been the top wrestling promotion without a second place competitor for decades. You know, like <laughs> they know what they're doing. Um, it's the Roman Reign thing in specific is really interesting, man, because I, the thing I always tell people is, you know, all the folks who are most upset about that kind of stuff, like whatever it is this week, you know, it's not yeah. Roman Reigns anymore because he got diagnosed with leukemia. And so everybody's kind of relaxed on that, right? They're not going yeah. to anymore. Um, but whatever it is, WWE doesn't care that you're upset because you're still watching. And not only are you still watching, you're talking about it online. You're promoting, you're promoting their product right? for them. And, you know, this is a thing I think that people – about WWE specifically that some people sometimes kind of fail to grasp. WWE has always been wrestling for the pop culture mainstream, always, right? Ever since Vince uh, yeah. took over from his dad, like that has been the line, and it's what brought them so much success. You look at WrestleMania 1. WrestleMania 1 was a big success because – Mr. T was on the card, right? Because they had promoted the whole thing with specials on MTV ahead of time. And, he, like, and, and even prior to that, we had the Rock and Wrestling Connection, which is exactly. one of the most crass, like, cozying up to mainstream audiences you could imagine. Yeah, I mean, and that's that the the found that was the foundation of WWE's success and their national expansion and and becoming what they've become. And this idea that, you know, like WWE has lost the plot or they're, they're not doing good wrestling anymore. It's like, well, no, man. WWE has always been a three-ring circus. And the thing about a three-ring circus is – and this is like an old circus analogy. I feel like nobody goes to circuses anymore. But <laughs> circuses, the reason they have three rings is so that no matter what you're into, there's something for you to watch, right? There's the lions yeah. in that ring. There's the clowns in this ring. And then there's acrobatics in that ring. And so whichever one you're interested in, you can watch that. And WWE has always had the same kind of approach. They don't expect anybody to like every minute of a three-hour Raw, right? Because how could you? But that's not the point, right? The point is just to provide a little bit of something for everybody. And they know that you know the people who are most outspoken and upset about whatever, they've already got them, right? Like, like you're already in. WWE already has – uh, the hook lodged in your cheek if you were th already that invested about it because you know i told i said earlier that the only thing that matters in wrestling is making money and filling seats um and the way you do that the chosen mechanism by which to do those two things is to get a visceral reaction out of people you know and so like when yeah uh, when roman reigns you know uh 
used to say, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a good guy. I'm the guy. Like that was, I always really like, it was really corny, um, but I really liked it because that's wrestling, man. They don't care. It doesn't matter. Like wrestling, wrestling is wholly amoral. You know, like they, they don't have, wrestling doesn't have a point of view. It doesn't have a goal. It doesn't have metaphors or themes it wants to explore. It only wants, and it might do some of that stuff, right? If it gets you in the door, but that's the only thing that really matters. Cool. Okay, yeah, that's, a, that's a nice little place to take a break. So let's get into some ugly old school death metal here. Awesome. Uh, got a band called Skull Crush out of. Where are they from? That doesn't even say. They're from somewhere in America, I don't know. But they cite Bolt Thrower, Cannibal Corpse, Immolation, Incantation, and Suffocation. As Basically the the good shit. The good shit, yeah. If, if you like do two or three of those, then I'll probably listen to your record. And the front cover of their album, uh, Visions of the Firestorm Eclipse, is like some 70s D&D manual like, illustration of like a barbarian and some warrior with an axe. It's, it's just glorious stuff. Uh, and like wrestling, it's fake and a work, and it's fake uh, terrible recording and that was, that's kind of what makes it great so we're going to listen to a song called Entrails Ablaze uh, that's off Visions of the Firestorm Eclipse on Redefining Darkness Records edgy name and uh, yeah it's fucking cool so here's that song and we'll come back for some more wrestling stuff in a minute Oh, my God. 
I think an element of uh, of death metal that that pairs well with um metal in general, but think in death metal because that's the best one uh, that pairs well with wrestling is that intense aesthetic focus that like I don't I don't care that they're not actually from a cave or something. It's it's just it's just fucking sick. They know what I'm here for. Like I saw. I have a friend, not going to name him, uh, you can see me interact with him on Twitter sometimes, who gets really, like, up in arms about how everyone's been loving on this old-school death metal revival, even though it's just people rehashing this old sound and not bringing anything new to the table. And it, it's tiring sometimes to tell him, like, yeah, that's what genre is. Like, mm-hmm. not what you're describing it would technically be like the avant-garde is bringing something new that is undefinable to things. And you don't always want that. Sometimes you want, like, no, I I just like death metal. You can just give me good quality death metal. It doesn't have to be brand new. Um, yeah, so I long mean, as it has like, that. This, like, Skullcrush record is, like, almost a pastiche. It's, it's so cheesy and so obviously um, indebted to this, like, 80s aesthetic that yeah it's it's just a pastiche at, at this point like they don't need to record it like this they're not they're, they've probably got a proper recording studio but like most bands they spend like $300 on effects plugins that make it sound like crap which is what they want yeah it's like it's like trying to get through to someone and this I think it is a broad statement about art but I think it works is that something like being uh, progressive or being avant-garde or um, developing an experiment and honing that experiment. These are all at the end of the day, just tools to do, to tell a good story or to make a good song or to make a good record. Like ultimately that's the only thing that matters. Everything is just a road to get there. And sometimes people fetishize one road over another. And I say that as like a big dumb, when it comes to music, like a fucking love, like just wanky ass prog, like 35 minute song. Shit. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> uh, and like, I'll listen to like fucking weirdo, like experimental records. And, but uh, like that, that's just a road to get somewhere. It, it's similar to like, you don't have to, we see this a lot when it comes to death metal. I, I bring this up because I'm mad at this friend because this has been just a hallmark year for death metal. And the fact that someone could look at like the tomb mold record, which I've gone on and on and on about is it's so my, good. Yeah. It's my favorite death metal record of the year. Um, only because I don't really think I can call the tribulation record a death metal record, but if I could, that one would be far and away, but just looking at all these great records and it's like, they're great because they, they just gave us great, songs and great song and record titles and great paste records and great album art and it's like just like trying to tell someone's like i'm not here for you to like bring something new to the table that's a cool flavor but i at the end of the day if the song is dope and likewise it's like what other form of art has undertaker in it <laughs> That's it. Well, like, monster truck, you know, monster truck racing has, has yeah, grave, digger, grave digger, right? And that's it. That's <laughs> ulti- obviously Undertaker is grave digger. Right. Like he doesn't drive it; he becomes a truck when he's doing. Oh, this is fascinating. Did you know that monster truck uh, competitions are exa- rigged exactly the same way that wrestling is? Yeah. 
Alundra Blaze became a uh, monster truck driver after she stopped wrestling. I did not know that. That yeah. that is really sick. Um, but yeah, it's like uh, this ties into a little bit of the discussion of WWE we had before. Is that one at the end of the day, people who get really into a lot of these smaller promotions like uh, like Evolve or um, uh, I forget what what culture wrestling renamed themselves to. Um, Pro- progress something i don't know um progress is something different i think okay yeah but like there there's all, all these small promotions that they're doing really great work and putting in like really excellent matches tapping some really excellent talent who likely will trickle up to our our new japans and our ring of honors and and things like that um they're realistically no matter what someone says there is no wrestling fan that doesn't pay attention to the wwe that's like liking baseball and not paying attention to the mlb it does not true. matter i think that used to be true honestly like really re- like up until really recently i think that used to be true um because wwe was the only widely available promotion right um but now with streaming services and everything, I mean, like, I don't like anecdotal evidence, but I don't really follow WWE. I watch something if I hear it's really good, um, and I watch and I'll go pick through old stuff typically. But I don't watch Raw. I don't watch Raw or SmackDown or NXT week to week or anything like that. Um, I still think I still think there's a level of passive awareness of specifically WWE that is nearly universal. Like. I find it it would be difficult to imagine a wrestling fan who can't name a current champion in WWE just because okay. that news gets broadcast like sure everywhere. and if you're on if you're on wrestling twitter or whatever for sure like and that's it winds up generating a and then it ties more into your your statement while they would like eyes on product week in week out that's obviously ultimately the goal um right. the fact that you are vaguely aware even to the point where someone can be like, hey, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles had a cool match and pick that up. Like, they're, they've been, to their credit, they've been making the pivot to the post-digital age um, a lot more smoothly than one would imagine a company that big uh, would have been able to. Like, the, the network has been, has had its ups and downs, and, you know, there, there's been the longstanding news of them trying to buy, like, the Impact tape reels and um, uh, cut a deal with Ring of Honor and stuff like that. And if they do that stuff, they'll eventually just become sort of like a wrestling streaming destination, and, and they know it. But the fact that they can even generate something and tap tap an audience to be like, oh, if, if you like wrestling, you're going to watch uh, the WrestleMania 30 Daniel Bryan arc. You just, you just you're gonna at some point or like you're you're gonna find a way if you haven't already you're gonna watch hell in a cell 98 that's just you're gonna realistically this is not going to not occur and they feel comfortable tapping younger audiences and just throwing like it's available we'll have you for one to three months and that's that's 30 bucks um yeah speaking of uh daniel bryan i noticed he kind of comes up a lot in the later parts of the book I think the the last, unless I'm mistaken, him his face for someone else. But I think the very last panel is him holding up some WrestleMania uh, belts. It is, yeah. Uh, so yep. what's cool? What's cool about that guy? Because <laughs> uh, yeah, you so, bring him up a, a fair bit. Daniel Bryan's one of my probably one of my top five favorite wrestlers of all time. Um, and you know, personally, I love Daniel Bryan because I 
got deep back into wrestling when he was tearing stuff up in Ring of Honor. And I was living in New York at the time, and so I would get to go see him uh, and you know other dudes of the era, including you know Tyler Black, who's now Seth Rollins, and Austin Aries, and uh, Nigel McGuinness, who's now does commentary, and a ton of other really cool names that people went on to really great stuff. Um, Roger Strong, of course, was there. Um, Daniel Bryan is really interesting because um, not only because he's really good and he is, I mean, like first and foremost, Daniel Bryan is a transcendent talent in terms of wrestling. He does it all right. Um, But Daniel Bryan also came along at the exact right time. You know, I oftentimes kind of liken CM Punk to John the Baptist, right? Um, out in the wilderness, howling, eating wild honey and locusts, um, kind of prophesying what was to come, right? Like D- CM Punk was a massive, massive break from what people expected of a top star in WWE. You know, um, for much of D- uh, CM Punk's career um, in WWE, people couldn't even fathom him being the top guy, right? Um, and he really did open the door and like the success that he had, he really opened the door and he set the stage for Daniel Bryan to come in. Um, and Daniel Bryan, you know, in addition to not having like the big like vascular, um, massive like bodybuilder physique that WWE has always, like going back to Bruno Sammartino, has always made hay with. And even, you know, um, before that, the type of guys that the, would do really well in that New York territory. Um, Daniel Bryan not only didn't have that, but he was also short. And he also and the line on him was that he wasn't a good talker and he wasn't charismatic. And Daniel Bryan was the first time that I think WWE, you know, and at the time people, this is an interesting thing too, right? At the time people they howled and they wailed and they gnashed their teeth at how Daniel Bryan was being poorly booked and misused and WWE didn't appreciate what they had and he should leave. And as it turned out, they made a massive star out of that guy, like a, like a, a bigger star out of him than he would have been if they had just immediately pushed him. Right. Um, and Daniel Bryan, I think is important, not just because how good he is, but because he was the beginning of WWE understanding how to use what had become a massive force within their audience, which was these these internet fans, the people who read dirt sheets and listen to podcasts and talk about wrestling just in insane, intense detail on Twitter, um, and who watch and follow all these other promotions. And the success that WWE found with Daniel Bryan is what allowed them to realize that, okay, well, we can bring in other dudes from the indies, other people who might not fit the mold. You're um, Kevin Owens, you're Sami Zayn's, um, even Seth Rollins, you know, um, who now, like, he's so much like the like he's so much like the archetypal WWE superstar now that it's hard to imagine. But when the Shield first came out, like I remember, like myself thinking this, and most people kind of agreeing with me that like Seth Rollins had like the lowest upside of any of those three guys, right? Like he, we just like I just always assumed he was gonna be like Christian, you know, he was gonna be like the really really yeah. good worker who has great matches, but he was never gonna be a top guy, you know. Like every, um, was, everyone looked, everyone looked at Dean as like a like a like a proto hyper. new wave, uh, like hyper. Steve Austin and Steve Austin, Roman. Yeah. And Roman Reigns looked like, you know, a standard WWE guy. And then it was like Seth Rollins with his, with his long hair and his. He was the his, worker, right? Yeah. And it's like, you needed a third guy, I guess. Yeah. He and passed like, one of the best indie guys to do it. Okay. Good for him. It's a paycheck. It's, 
And so I think you know Daniel Bryan is interesting because it looks really different, you know, like it looks like WWE, like all of a sudden they changed gears and they changed directions, but they didn't. They just did the same thing that they've always done, you know, um, and like because it's not that Daniel Bryan was any he looked like any less of a WWE superstar than fucking Mick Foley did, right? Like, <laughs> Big Foley was a mess, you know, by the time he got there. He did not look like a top-level WWE superstar. Uh, but this is something that wrestling's always done and WWE has always done. Um, and they always do a really good job, too, of acting like it's new and acting like it's something different. And that's like a trick that w- that wrestling always plays on the audience as well. Um, and I-, I think that Daniel Bryan is significant, though, because he was – the true beginning of them cracking the code on how to bring in these dudes from other promotions and use what people knew about them, but still make them WWE wrestlers. If that makes like, sense. I, I can speak anecdotally to this as well, that this story's right on the money because it was the buildup. So I, I, I loosely followed wrestling from like the mid 2000s when I stopped religiously watching it to, um, the early 2010s, which is where all this stuff started, started to really happen. And so you I, didn't miss, I know you didn't miss a whole lot. There was a really no, I did bad not. Of wrestling that you're describing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason I checked out. It wasn't um, great. They, Basically, when I saw, what was it, like the second Steve Austin heel turn, I was like, uh, you know, there's a lot of classic comics that I'm finding out about that I haven't read. And, you know, I'm studying literature and stuff like that. And I want to get, you know, become a published writer. Maybe I'll focus on some of these things right now. But so, you know, is passingly familiar with like the American Dragon, because which is the name Daniel Bryan went under for a while. Um, just a really big star. And, you know, it's familiar with like Kenta, who, who wrestles for them now as um, Hideo Itami um, and was familiar with CM Punk because th- those three have sort of rotated around each other, um, especially prior to WWE. They um, they had they worked sort of like concentric orbits around each other and picked up and traded a lot of ideas. Um, so you know, vaguely aware of that. And then it was the rise of them tapping Daniel Bryan and the Rocky start and then eventually building up to the Yes movement and then WrestleMania 30 um, in, I think that was 20, 2014 or 2013, one of the two, that that was the thing that made me like immediately start paying serious attention to wrestling again, just like. And I, I didn't realize that I was becoming that sucked up into it until like a like a million people online who probably have the exact same story. Uh, by the time the close of WrestleMania 30 happens and the crowd is organic, organically chanting, you deserve it to Daniel Bryan. And he's testing. I can't hear him. Can you? Oh. Uh, yep. Two better people that night. <laughs> oh, 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 you come back. Oh, oh, yeah, sorry, you good. cut out there. I'm glad I'm glad that my connection is doing that again. You can tell that I'm back home. <laughs> but uh, I probably have the same story as, as a lot of people with this, but it's like I didn't realize how much I'd been getting sucked up back into wrestling from just monitoring the Daniel Bryan WWE situation until – you know, by the close of WrestleMania 30, where he is hefting the two belts, um, which which you have uh, captured really, really well in, in your book. Um, and the crowd is organically chanting, you deserve it. And you just watched him wrestle three men in one night who are all top guys for the company. And realizing that I was, like, teary-eyed, like, having watched this. On the same night that The Undertaker had his streak broken, which, 
as someone who I remember Undertaker's debut, like I, I like I watched when that had happened, like I still can't. The fact that they overcame my shell shock, um, which you might as well have dropped a fucking like neutron bomb on wrestling when they did that, and then immediately follow a Daniel Bryan. It was like that was a masterclass in booking. Um, that yeah, and like like a million other people, that was like the big turning point where I'm like, I'm going to pay attention to this again. Holy shit. This is still something that I love quite a lot. Like it's very, very hard to overestimate the impact Daniel Bryan had on bringing back a huge chunk of WWE's audience, winning back sort of the internet crowd, even bringing in a lot of casual people. Like there's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to overestimate, um, his function and it works it works exactly the same way that that Aubrey was saying is that part of it is they learned uh, arbitrary suppression works for some of these figures where um and, and to be fair I don't know how arbitrary it is I don't you know I, I don't know how arbitrary it is at all and you, you mentioned that you know the crowd was chanting organically you deserve it and I, I similarly I don't know how organic that was man I think that WWE I, is so like the, the I, inner workings of WWE. Like they're they're a lot smarter than people give them credit for. And that, to something we were discussing fair. a few minutes ago, the the idea that you know for twenty years now they've conditioned fans to believe that WWE generally and the McMahons specifically hate wrestling. They hate actual wrestling. They only like sports entertainment, and they don't like small guys. They only like big guys, and like all these things that have just been received knowledge, right? Um, about how WWE works and how it operates, they now realize that in order to get somebody well and truly over, there's only one way to do it, which is to make people think that they're never going to get the shot, right? It, it is, it's to bury them. It's to hold them down for a while. It's to put them in opposition to the McMahon family, which is – you know that's the formula they did for Stone Cold, and they've been doing it yeah. ever since. Um, and they did the same thing with Daniel Bryan. So, yeah, I don't think that that was, I don't think that was a happy accident. Well, I think so, that that was, I think that was a concerted effort to, you know, so they knew I, that that guy was so over. I 100% agree. Yeah. I meant to relay that it was that experience. And that's the thing that I, um, that I think is the bigger testament to their abilities and the fact that like Vince is, the biggest genius wrestling has seen. We may like the work of other people better, but when it comes to, like, people believed what they were, people who should have known better believed right. what they were seeing with the Daniel Bryan thing was 100% um, like, we did this, we pushed him, they finally caved. Um, I can't, like, for years, that thought persisted. For years, even after people were finding out that, like, Daniel Bryan was even letting little snippets go in, um, in interviews that, like, he, he had a really close relationship with, uh, creative. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't like he was locked out and legit had no idea what they were going to be doing with him. They were in communication just like you would be with any kind of talent situation. It, like, yeah, their their ability to knowingly work certain audiences. You can even stretch it back to like Shawn Michaels, where for a large chunk of his early career that we mentally write out now because we know what he's demonstrated to us, they had him stuck in the mid card. They had him doing show stopping matches and like not getting title shots. He was, um, to be fair, he wasn't so much stuck with Michael Janetti as much as Janetti uh, went insane, um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can 
you can go really, really far back with these things. And like you were saying, it's more they have to find new languages to present the same idea so that you think they're new. But it's it's just an aesthetic overhaul. It's not a mechanical right. overhaul. Yeah. It's and one of the it, interesting it, things about it's one of the interesting things about wrestling, and it's one of the. I mean, it was one of. The, I keep referring to these like thesis statements that we had for the book, and it's because you know we really want it to be a narrative. We want it to be a story, not just like a list of yeah. anecdotes, right? And one of these ideas that we kept coming back to, and like over and over again throughout the course of the book, is this idea that wrestling has always been the same, you know? And we and we explore that through examining all these patterns and these things that just keep coming up like the fear of losing the title you know and whether it's something where like some there actually is a double cross and somebody takes it or there's a threatened double cross and the montreal screw job happens or there's a you know they use it as a storyline like they did with cm punk you know or you know when rick flair brought the real world title over to wwf from wcw like this is one of my big things about wrestling is that you know none of it's new man like like they've been they've been working wrestling matches since the 1880s and it's a pretty it's a pretty standard structure for how this stuff works and the specifics change for sure right um like broadly just in terms of like what makes a heel or a villain a heel or a face like that changes and then more specifically you know the types of moves people do and how the matches are put together and things like that but the actual skeleton of how a wrestling match and then a wrestling angle which is really just it works the same way a wrestling match does, but in a with a broader lens, you know. Um, that stuff has been in place for over a hundred years now, um, and it's I don't know, it's a fascinating thing, and it's it's fascinating. It, part of the part of the work is people believing that what they're seeing is new, you know, um, and it's because they want to, and that's that. It all comes back to it being a magic trick. Cool. So, uh, the like only piece of wrestling news that i know from like recently is that ronda rousey is now i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right is now a wrestler yep. after being in mma for a while that's so, really old news yeah okay it feels, <laughs> yeah but it was like only oh, and the leukemia thing with was it roman reigns roman reigns yeah. yep right so so where is wrestling right now are we still like riding that like uh daniel bryan golden age or is the golden age just kind of petered out or how are things in the wrestling world you know it's always it's hard to say you know it's hard to call things i know like as much as people including myself like to say oh we're living in a golden age of wrestling with all this stuff that's available which is true um it's hard to talk too definitively about it without a little bit of distance you know before you can look back and figure out what actually held water and what remained important and you know what just felt important at the time um i'll say this though you know it's a better time to be a wrestling fan than ever just because of the accessibility of this stuff, right? The fact that, you know, it wasn't too long ago that if you wanted to keep up with WWE pay-per-views, your ass was paying like $60 a month um, to do that. <laughs> In addition to your cable bills to watch Raw and SmackDown, and then it was a whole other thing if you wanted to seek out something else, right? Yeah, it was, now, like it was a big deal when I asked my parents, can I watch WrestleMania? And they made me promise that I would watch from the beginning to the end because of how much it was it was outrageously like, expensive yeah man and like so now the fact that you can get all the pay-per-views for 9.99 plus it sounds like an ad for the network but it's not meant to be <laughs> but like not, not only like you can so not only can you get all of the content they're doing and we is doing more content now than maybe ever before because of nxt and the tournaments and the specials and all this stuff um 
and I'm talking just wrestling content too. I'm not even talking about the, all the other stuff they do. But then in addition to that, you get all of the back matter, right? Or the um, all of the the old tape libraries that they have from these old defunct promotions. The fact that you can get all of that for nine ninety nine. The fact that New Japan which is the second biggest promotion in the world and the top Japanese promotion that they have a street, a really great web streaming service. And they, and what's more, they do English translation or English commentary for most of the big shows now, if not all of them. Um, plus seemingly every indie promotion has, if not a streaming service, like, like a subscription service, like Twitch streaming, and you can order DVDs and people just throw their stuff up on YouTube. Like it's, incredible how much wrestling there's available now stuff that you'd have had to have just read about or sought down like old grainy vhs tapes from weird dudes you find in newsletters like i mean the fact, it just, the fact that all that stuff is available now is it's an incredible boon to wrestling fans um and i think that it's it's a great time to be a wrestling fan and you know i you know bubbles always burst right um and i'm sure that the wrestling bubble will burst eventually um because nothing can stay no specific medium or genre can stay overwhelmingly popular forever right um so i'm sure that it, things will like the pendulum will swing back and you know people will like all the other people have come to wrestling from comics and t like prestige tv and movies and stuff like that like from those fandoms they'll probably go back eventually um but I don't know. I think that you know the the floodgates have been opened, and the way that people consume wrestling now is so different than they've consumed wrestling than ever before. That I don't know. I'm excited. I'm still super excited about wrestling. Um, yeah, it's, it's, because of the wide variety of stuff that's available and will continue to become available as people keep staking out different niches for rest for the types of wrestling that they want to do. It's been really fascinating to watch as as these booms are happening in terms of different promotions launching. Um, I'm glad you brought up the YouTube thing. There's plenty of really small promotions who put up uh, full shows on YouTube, who put up all the matches of a show on YouTube and arrange them in the playlist so that you can watch an entire show if you want or watch specific matches if you want. Um, one, the level of how great that is for the history of wrestling, which so for so long was um, heavily, heavily controlled and edited to, to be very brief about it the like the fact that we still don't know how much of the montreal screw job was a legitimate shoot versus a work that may have been hinted at or somewhat aware of uh ahead of time i think uh, it was a test of, i i feel exactly the same way um <laughs> i think everyone feels that especially when you're like you mean vince had his finger in it i can't trust that he didn't make all this shit up um but the fact that we have all that and now we can actually we're building these tape libraries or we can at least know uh, at least the presentation of of history without it being like uh, just um, handed down to us verbally, like in, it being a fully oral history um, that on top of that, we've been watching the nurturing of these very small um, uh, schools of wrestling and these very small like niches that wouldn't have necessarily fit in the grander stage of uh, of different of different wrestling styles because like as much as we can contrast say the style that Lucha Underground brought at least for the first like couple like really great seasons that they had and not that they're bad now but I think everyone sort of feels that the first like two maybe three seasons were just like peak Lucha Underground um and some of the stuff that New Japan is doing isn't wildly different from stuff that WWE presents it's it's closer to that than it is at smaller indie brethren 
Um, there's there's some formal adjustments that make them feel unique, but they aren't wholly dissimilar. They still feel uh, applicable. You can jump from one to the other and not be totally thrown off. Um, but yeah, even just in the past five or ten years, we've seen, or uh, let's limit it to five, we've seen like uh, the rise of Kenny Omega into being like a global superstar player. Like he's going to go down in history books at this point, just with the level of quality matches he's put in. We saw Okada's absolutely brilliant run for the IWGP uh, heavyweight title that's just like that I feel like that title reign is going to stand the test of the time we've had some really excellent matches from that uh, Lucha Underground came um, and no matter where it goes from there it has the notches on its belt of having for a period been like the most exciting thing in wrestling um, the May Young Classics both of them have delivered some really excellent material um, yeah it does it's as much as one of the biggest truisms of wrestling uh, that is actually broadly true across all storytelling medium, um, but they at least foregrounded a lot, is that the, the biggest virtue is going out on your back. Um, that, like, even the biggest, coolest arc in wrestling needs to at some point have a pseudo end. Nothing really ends because as long as the wrestlers are still alive, they can bring them out of retirement for a quick check, and we all know that. But also, audiences aren't stupid. We know where stories end. So even with those pseudo-breakages, like, we know where the McMahon-Steve Austin story ended, even though their careers kept going for a little bit. We, we, we know the beginning and end of that. Is that it's not, I don't feel, even if wrestling were to stop its golden age right now, I don't think we'd be under threat of not getting another one later, because that, that's just sort of always been the, the way of the ebb and flow of things. And like, realistically, you can't have consistent overlap between like the amount of burnout I think I would have if it went straight from like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man having their insane, uh, run like with and against each other directly into the NWO with no down period directly into, or, uh, with like, um, Bret Hart and, uh, Shawn Michaels having their like, jaw-dropping stuff right into uh like steve austin like even though we mentally can join these uh time time wise if we start looking at the timeline there there's more breakage than we think so it yeah i as much as i think that we're probably gonna come down or that we're probably on the downslope rather than the upslope it, it just seems unlikely for the for the boom to continue growing at the rate that it has been it doesn't. It doesn't feel worrying to me, at least as a fan. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, wrestling is durable in a way that other. So wrestling, I think, gets compared to other genres. When I really do think that wrestling is its own medium, right? And because of that, wrestling is really durable in a way that, say, you know, western movies or superhero movies or police procedural shows or you know whatever genre like you want to think about i think that wrestling is resilient and um can adjust and adapt a lot better than those can because it it is a medium it's a medium unto itself yeah. and it's and it works in a way that nothing outside of magic and carnival tricks you know or like three card monty or shell games or whatever it works right so it allows it to really adjust i think that the catch and i think that this is true of any anytime you look at 
down periods for wrestling. Um, it usually comes from one or two things. And I mean like the formal logic version of, or, so it could be both, right? Um, yeah. it's, it is overexposure. It is reaching too far and, you know, like, uh, <laughs> flying too close to the sun, right? Or it is a lack of talent, you know? And I think that, in if 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 I want to play Nostrad if we want to play Nostradamus for a minute, like the problem that WWE and like you know which way WWE goes goes the wrestling industry right now because they are so they are a monolithic yeah. presence and they are a de facto monopoly right even with all the success of these other promotions New Japan is the second biggest New Japan's profile is a it's it's non-existent compared to WWE's right I think um, I think their value is something. Something like less than a tenth of WWE. Yeah, exactly. By far the closest second. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about WWE here, but this does have a huge impact on the larger industry. You know, if I had to pinpoint what I think will be a problem moving forward, it's going to be talent um, because WWE has been so um, aggressive in picking up and signing talent. And, you know, we talk about, like, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan. These guys have been on the indie scene for over a decade by the time they got to WWE. Uh, They had had time to perfect their craft, working all over the world, uh, in different in front of different audiences, um, some of them who cared, some of them who didn't, um, in all types of sizes of buildings. Uh, They, you know, they were journeyman wrestlers who then became um, experts, right? They became um, tremendous. WWE has gone out to the indies and other countries and stuff and got everybody who has that level of experience and they've continued hiring people and they've continued bringing people in and this isn't this isn't a knock on anybody in NXT right now but if you compare you know the length of time in wrestling and how long they've been wrestling on average of the people who are coming into NXT of like the hot you know the hot new NXT prospects from the indies or wherever if you compare how many years they like the ones getting signed now have been wrestling even to like three or four years ago there's a there's a huge difference and I think that that's going to catch up to WWE you know because for years now they've been able to rely on okay we'll find the hottest indie guy We'll bring him in. We'll give him a short run in XT, or maybe even not. Maybe we'll just AJ Styles him and bring him right up to the main roster. And we already have a fully formed top tier talent ready to go. And they're not going to be able to keep doing that. It's just not sustainable because they're already kind of running out of guys, you know? Yeah, it, it reminds me um, to, to touch also a little bit on on your notion of uh, wrestling as medium. Uh, one of the biggest, and this is this is fitting as well. One of the biggest comparison points I've brought up to people is is comic books for it, in the sense that both are very very visually driven. Like you can't really have one without without the visuals. You you can experiment with things, but at some point that's that's going to be a major component. Um, like like you can't deny the value of aesthetics within wrestling, be it a gritty real aesthetic or a grandiloquent like gothic super masterpiece uh decadent uh aesthetic for it the other one is like you brought up comics don't have a specific genre form to them they are a container for genres because they're a medium so when superheroes stopped being the big thing it became westerns and then it became romances and it became crime then then it started to become superheroes again but with a totally different tone um on and on and on and it can fit any kind of thing you put in it you can have love and rockets and you can have like Grant Morrison's Justice League run, and they both are comics. 
Um, and they fans of one, it, it's not too hard to find fans of one being fans of the other, even if they may like one more than the other, just because you wind up getting enraptured in a medium and wanting to see different directions it can go. And wrestling being, if anything, the plurality of it now being a testament to that, that there is so many different, like I was saying before, the mechanics, the guts of matches between uh, Lucha Underground, between Ring of Honor, between Impact, between New Japan, between WWE, from the lower card to the upper card, are by and large the same. You're watching very similar moves, you're watching very similar pacing techniques, but they feel very different from one another. They're able to dress it in that all-important bit of genre, that being aesthetic, that the fact that mechanically the, you're witnessing just a primal story being told gets really gets washed under the rug because that's not as important as you get wrapped up in the aesthetic and the drama and the sensation of it. Um, and so I feel similar to you that 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 end of things for wrestling doesn't doesn't feel like it can really go under a weakening state because if anything we're seeing more people entering the field and more people gaining those um those base skills i i i I agree strongly with you though that um beginning to learn the ropes and the number of people we have entering wrestling is an extremely good omen but those fruits are only going to pay dividends right five years from now it's a renewable it's a renewable resource but it takes a while right you need the dinosaur you need the dinosaur bones to break down into a into fossil fuels <laughs> and we have we have probably more eyes on much much smaller promotions like literally like promotions that stay within one city or that travel between a handful of cities like there's a couple very local chicago and philly promotions that have eyes on very loose and tenuous connections to wwe or to ring of honor or to impact or things like that and that's it's going to take a while for that to pay out but yeah it doesn't feel like um, it doesn't feel like we're going to hit. I, I'd be surprised if the fallow period we hit was longer than like eight or nine years. Then again, almost any genre, it seems to have like a five to eight year fallow period for like the new the new thing to develop, um, which is, I think that's the thing that worries me most about wrestling right now is we're watching some really fantastic stuff happening. But, you know, the, the, it's starting to nag in the back of my head of, like, we we kind of know the shape of, like, Kenny Omega epics now. They're still cool to watch. I think all of us still like them, but we kind of know what that's going to look like. So maybe a match that he delivers now that would have been, like, I don't know, Dave Meltzer giving it, like, nine out of five stars or something um, is going to rank a lot lower just because we, we start to anticipate the shape of it. Uh, or... I think that's more of a knock on Kenny Omega than anything else, though, honestly. Uh, like, truthfully, you know, yeah. like, Kenny Omega has Kenny Omega matches in ways that, say, Okada didn't have Okada matches. You know? I mean, I think, I think that that is a, that is a not uncommon and I think very legitimate criticism of Kenny Omega. Um, that he, that he has, he has a style. That he does. And, uh. you know, and that's and th- but that's not you know you could say the same thing about Ric Flair and people have said yeah. the same thing about Ric Flair and you know every wrestler does and this is like the this is the source of the whole like five moves of doom thing which I think that you know once you get to that level I think it's absurd right because every wrestler has five moves of doom because that's how wrestling works the audience yeah. the audience needs to know what the moves are right so they need to know what to expect so that their expectations can either be delivered upon or subverted or denied right like you need to know yeah 
what a guy's moveset is. Um, but, you know, so like I think that that is typically an absurd complaint. But there is, you know, there are wrestlers who, you know, get stuck in kind of a rut and they do the type of match. And, um, you know, it's it's not that there's anything wrong with it because obviously people are responding to the Kenny Omega stuff in a huge way still. People love that match. But it is a very – it is oftentimes a very similar match in a way that I wouldn't – you know, I – I wouldn't say that about other guys in New Japan even. I wouldn't say it about Naito. I wouldn't say it about Tanahashi or Zack Sabre Jr., Suzuki. I think these guys have different matches depending on who they're facing. You know, whereas Omega has yeah. style of match that he needs you to do with him. And sometimes and it, it works really if it's with you know, if it's with Tomohiro Ishii, it works amazing. And other guys maybe not so much sometimes. It, it remi- he reminds me a lot of Stone Cold in that way, where when Stone Cold got a whiff of what it was that worked and how well it could work, they just they just rode that rocket to the moon. But as a result, you can go back and watch a lot of these like um, middle of Raw like matches where they would just be McMahon going like, "Oh, you can have your match, but first you got to fight this random guy that we're going to try to get over." Um, which is just part of the game. And it would it would be very much like, oh, it's another Stone Cold match. It's another Stone Cold match. It's another Stone Cold match. And so sometimes the the sensation of, like, why was this person the... I mean, we, we have a similar thing even with Shawn Michaels, where his WrestleMania work is a body unto itself. It, it has a shape to it. When he was on WrestleMania, you would know what kind of thing to expect. And there it sort of ties into why he wisely, you know, got got that match with Undertaker and was like, I gotta walk away. This is this is gonna quickly become diminishing returns. I gotta I just had the best match of my career. I'm gonna make that my last match. Um so yeah, I I, I will throw out we haven't talked as much about about the book. That's mainly because as a wrestling nerd and a comics nerd, I read it and went Holy shit, this is exactly what it promised me. I'm just nerding out with this book and the writing and drawing is immaculate. So it's like there's hmm. I if you have a passing interest in either comics or wrestling, pick it up. It's really great. Um That's damn great, yes. And um yeah, Aubrey, so what's others what are you working on right now? Is there anything in the pipeline? Are you just winding yeah. down after doing this one? Yeah, you know, like so uh it's been it's been like my big PR blitz for the past like 90 days and that's finally like <laughs> it's finally calming down. Um, but yeah, comics wise, I am I have a big creator owned series coming out next year that has not been announced yet. Um, but hopefully around the middle of next year's next year that'll start hitting and that's a that's that's fiction work um, which is my primary focus. That's why I like writing. Um, I you know, I I I, I love writing comic story professional wrestling but right nonfiction is tough man it's, it's really, <laughs> i would much rather do fiction um and i've got that i've got uh i've got a short story in marvel is doing a holiday x-men issue uh and i, I have a i have a saber tooth story in that uh this is big Hell yeah. Yeah, this he is big enough love he's he, great he's, he's one of my he, favorites i one of my favorite getting more love recently, especially with uh with Wolverine being sort of dialed back for for obvious reasons. He he's been getting some interesting billing over the past like two or three. One years. of my favorite literary tropes is this idea of like you know you have your main character and they are defined by you know X Y and Z characteristics, right? But then they run up against somebody who is those characteristics to the nth degree, and that's what Sabretooth is. Sabretooth is Wolverine's Wolverine, and that's uh, that's what I love about him. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, so we, we have, I have a short story in that with, uh, Juan Gedeon. Uh, and then, man, a bunch of unannounced stuff that I can't talk about yet. But if people follow me online, it's just at Aubrey Citizen. It's my name, Aubrey Citizen on Twitter, uh, Aubrey Citizen on Instagram, AubreyCitizen.com. And then because, you know, because you're not allowed to reach, use the name and I got rid of the author page on Facebook, I'm Charles Aubrey Citizen. But you just search for Aubrey Citizen. You can find it. Uh, keep up with my <laughs> stuff that way. Uh, everything's on AubreyCitizen.com too. Cool. I'm going to check out that Sabretooth one. But um, that's coming out in December, I'm guessing. In December, yes, sir. Next month. Cool. So, yeah, uh, do check out um, Comic Book History of Wrestling, or Professional Wrestling, because it is, um, like we said, damn good. Even for a, a non-wrestling uh, person like me, I don't know if there's a special wrestling word for that. Like you have your marks and your smarks, but I don't know what the, I am. In the, the, un- the uninitiated. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, someone who doesn't know anything about wrestling other than that um, he wants Zack Sabre Jr. inside of him. Oh, and, we all um, do. I mean, he's, he's a beautiful man. It's gorgeous. Um, Nothing but that, respect for my president. <laughs> Zack Sabre Jr. Prime Minister. British um, people can be the president now. Fuck it, man. <laughs> I think he lives. Uh, I think he lives in Brooklyn now, so he can be president. Yeah, he's perfect. He lives in Brooklyn too. I think so. Yeah, I think a, somebody told me that. God. <laughs> anyway, Zach Saber so, Junior. If you're listening to this, send me one of your jackets. I'm offering nothing in return. I just want one. Yeah. Also, I, I, send one to Miz, me, and I will just smell it. If you know the Miz, get me one of his jackets too. Incredible jackets. That man has just perfect jackets. I think about jackets a lot. That's just that's just a fact. Jackets. So uh, let's leave off with some music uh, by a, a tag team because there's two of them uh, out of the UK, like Saxon Junior. Uh, they're called Bismuth. Uh, they are Tanya on bass and Joe on drums. There's two of them, and they're they're heavy as fuck. Kind of. It's obviously Doom, but it's droney and it gets a little weird. Like, this uh, song we're playing is the second of two songs on an album. Because the first song is 32 minutes, exactly. (laughs) This song isn't 32 minutes, it's 6 minutes, and it's still heavy as fuck. But also doesn't sound exactly like the other droney Doom out there. Uh, I played them not only because they released this album two days ago... But because they're going to be, uh, they're touring with uh, Vile Creature, who are you know, the first band I ever interviewed on this show, and the loveliest people. Uh, and they're touring the UK at the moment. I'm going to go see them in Manchester pretty soon. So um, look out for Bismuth and Vile Creature if you're in the UK, and they'll probably be touring the rest of the world at some point. And come back next week because. We got more comic book stuff. It's we, we kind of accidentally booked a comic book month. We got all the comic books coming up. Uh, if you're reading Crowded, which is a really good book, um, we're talking to uh, Chris Sabella uh, f- about Crowded, and we got other stuff, and it's going to be really good. And plus, you might also dip into that Haruki Murakami book. Maybe it's very big. I don't want to have to do 700 pages of anything. I'm going to be honest with you. I also, I don't, I feel obligated to talk about Murakami. I know. But I don't, I've liked like two of his books. 
I've respected chunks of 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 his books, but that once you get you get a whiff of his like weird kind of misogyny, it's it's like it's not a huge amount of misogyny, but it's like a weird specific kind where it's like how come the women don't seem to have names or they all feel like the same person, and then like you can't unthink it whenever you're reading his books, and then yeah, I just get hung up on it. So we may do Murakami, no promises. Uh, write or tweet at us to say, tell us not to do it. That gives us an out. But uh, yeah, so here's Bismuth.